You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning, everybody, and it's Sunday morning, it's 7.30, and that means it is the 3CR Gardening Show, so welcome to Sunday. Uh, We've got a lovely, lovely show lined up for you today, uh, packed with lots of experts. Later in the show, we'll be chatting with the president of the Victorian Dahlia Society, Pam Albot, about dahlias and about their upcoming show, Um, but Right now, I have the pleasure of introducing landscape designer Loretta Childs, Ben Brooker, who is the owner um, with his wife Kerry of Treasured Perennials Nursery in Gippsland, and tour leader, author, and friend of Burnley Gardens, Michelle Adler. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, morning. Yes, and we all had a bit of a um, wrangling with our cars this morning to get into 3CR, didn't we? Yes, (laughs) it was a bit um, bit, uh, unusual. There's obviously an event on, so um, yes, parking was lacking and we had to... I think they're doing some roadworks and and it was fun because I haven't run 100 metres in a while. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, so you got your heart rate up. Everyone got their heart rate up. Yes, so and a little bit of sprinkling this morning, a little little bit mm, of rain. Nice, Just, nice yeah. little sprinkle, but not enough. Not not quite enough, but no. um, yeah, I think the, um, the I think the birds might be happy. And it's amazing because we've had so much rain, and still it's dry. Isn't yes. that weird? Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So has anyone? Um, I know myself personally. Um, just because I haven't um, been back on the show, we've only been back on for a week and I've got a lot of um, catching up, I think, with everyone to talk about. But in my own garden, uh, over the summer, my um, I have an acacia scarlet blaze, which is renowned for being a little bit temperamental in terms of does not like excessive water and uh, slowly watched it get yellower and yellower and yellower mm-hmm. as uh, the rain continued and the hailstorms continued and mm-hmm. it finally gave up the ghost. Oh. I was just going to say it's been so hard to keep uh, Acacia Scarlet Blaze alive because of it's, it's an unusual one. Lots of people went out and bought it uh, some years ago and including me, I couldn't keep mine alive ah, either. Well, I practised what I preach and the preaching is plant it, water it, ignore it. Mm-hmm. Like literally water it once and never touch it again and just kind of give it a casual sideways glance every now and again and uh, then, it, yeah, it seemed to go fine. It went well. Yeah, yeah. Or, until the cockies discovered it. When um, it, As soon as it was in flower, the cockies were like, ooh. 
ooh, this is something new in the garden. Let me come and uh, prune it for you. <laughs> but then it recovered from that. So, mm. yeah. Mm. yeah, I lost mine. You lost yours too. Yeah, yes, for, for the listeners, it had a lovely, um, slightly reddish uh, flower, which is unusual with acacias. Most yes. most of them are cream, cream or yellow. Yes. And scarlet braise was um, very unusual. I wonder if it's still alive in the wild. Or no. 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 Do, do you know the story behind that is actually quite tragic? Somebody discovered it mm. and uh, let somebody else know and then someone went to get cuttings, cuttings. Oh. and uh, because obviously that is the only way to reproduce it uh, faithfully to, to know that you're going to get those gorgeous red flowers. And the last few in the wild had been completely decimated. Mm. So whoever it was that took those cuttings didn't want any, anyone anyone else to have them. So that's not that's not horticulture, is it? Not, that's not, not nice. No, not nice. no, not nice. But you can still buy it. Thank yes. goodness. Uh, I know Karanga; they've got a lot at the moment, uh-huh. and I'll be replacing mine again in autumn. Uh, had a massive uh, eucalyptus polyanthemus branch come down on the oh. garden <gasps> last week, and we're talking big. Like the branch is so big, you can't actually wrap your hands around it. You can't wrap your mm. arms around it. It's so wide, and it, and it was probably. Oh, how long do you reckon it is, Loretta? Probably um, maybe fifteen meters, twenty meters, even. It's pretty it. long. I'd I'd say close to twenty. Yeah, yeah. and super yeah. heavy. I I was in the cottage and I heard it cracking. Well, I heard something cracking for about thirty seconds, and I was like, "Oh, something, something's going on." Bad. <laughs> and then I just heard this absolute smash and. Luckily, it missed the dead scarlet blaze, so no problems there. Uh, it took out a bunch of couriers, took out a uh, brachychitin populneus, the, the, a currajong that we have at the front door, yeah. uh, pretty much missed the house, just sort of a wow. branch came over the top of it but didn't actually hit it and missed everything. The, the chickens were in the front garden at that time and they hightailed it round the back. Uh, but you know, Ray is often walking back and forth there as I am and <coughs> luckily no one was there there were no cars there mm. uh, so now it's the big process of cleaning it up and bringing in an arborist we've got a fantastic arborist who we use and uh, so we well can the width talk. of the 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 um branch too would be another 20 meters if not more. oh like it's absolutely unbelievable it went everywhere didn't mm. it it is one of the biggest well it, i don't know it's almost more than a branch it's all you know it's like a tree yeah it's really like yeah. a whole tree mm. but it's just extraordinary wow. the way it came down and hit and well between the house and the, the carport the dining area outside the entertaining area yeah and the entertain it's yeah. the whole area yeah which is my goodness and it missed area. and it missed all of that they pretty how, much missed everything broke a few bird bars uh, mm. squashed a few plants and uh ray's been sort of out there every day just slowly chipping away at it and then we'll get the arborist in he's come and assessed everything and just had a look at what's what I have to say bringing in an expert arborist you just kind of realize oh yeah sure you might pay you know decent money but they know exactly what they're doing years ago this arborist um, Dan had mentioned he said oh you know that that branch is really coming out quite far we might need to lighten it it off and of course I was like no no you're not touching it it's perfectly fine and yeah uh, yeah, and AB also was that thing that we discussed was how healthy it looked yes I mean it was beautifully Mm. leaved it was all of those things and 
I um, I have had the same experience this only a month ago with the yellow box, one of our biggest on the property, um, bifurcated. Mm. Um, and it's sort of sitting in a position where it's got a big, heavy, well, wharf timber balustrade that goes around the outside of it, probably about, a, let's say, half a metre. And over time, you know, when things are going so slowly and this absolutely enormous yellow box had been starting to lean, lean. starting to lean. Mm. And this big bifurcated trunk, which was half of the entire tree, suddenly I went over there and here it is because it's in a garden bed. It's against the balustrade and it was Mm. going to take out the entire wall. So it's hard against that and we did the same. We didn't do what... We did what we should have done, what A B should have done, <laughs> and uh, we got an arborist in, and they cut it off, which has been quite devastating. But um, mm. then, a week later, guess what? It mm. straightened up. Mm. So now it's sort of, let's say, it's not five hundred, but it's sort of two hundred off the balustrade. So mm. interesting, isn't it? Mm. It is, and we mm. were talking, Loretta, about um, the different creatures that use that particular branch or tree or whatever and for me it was such a long wide branch and the kookaburra family would always come and sit on that branch and watch us and look for worms and whatever whatever else they were looking for and uh, so that's gone now and it because it took out part of the um Karajong next to the house which was part of the highway for the possums to come down to get their half an apple in the evening um so that's gone so it's all quite interesting just seeing that change dynamics the dynamics dynamics, yeah Mm. but because the tree is i mean the branch is essentially still there now and there's branches going here there and everywhere um the the cockies and the magpies are having a real ball because oh all these extra perches to come and look at you on so it's very interesting and i guess of course that happens in the wild as well ab i think it also brings up another point which is um planting eucalypts close to houses Mm. and uh, eucalypts are renowned for sudden branch drop Um, in your case Loretta slow branch drop (laughs) (laughs) but um, certainly in these hot dry days um, that we've been having over the last little while um, they're renowned for just suddenly dropping and if you have a eucalypt in particular a eucalypt close to the house um, it's worth having an arborist look at it I think absolutely and you know this is something that I certainly don't practice what I preach (laughs) just because this polyanthemus it's magnificent like it and it's been there I'm going to guess you know it's 150 years old maybe so it Mm. is big 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 and it was there before the house was built and then sort of spread over it. Uh, but we are now going to be pulling back some of the branches which are going mm. over because, mm. yeah, I mean, that would have totally smashed a car, let alone a person or mm. an animal underneath it. We did years ago have a sugar gum, Eucalyptus claticalix, mm-hmm. at Burnley, growing in the grounds at Burnley. Mm-hmm. And uh, every so often it would shed a little something. But on one occasion it shed quite a large branch on one of the uh, lecturers' car, the car of one of the lecturers, and it was at that stage that the arborist said it has to go because that is just too dangerous, particularly in a public space. Um, it's too 
too much of a risk to keep it. So sadly, it was probably also about 150 or maybe even more years old mm. and it had to go. Yeah. But those those smooth-barked eucalypts oh. in particular are yeah, the ones. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And it, wouldn't mm. it be great to have a nationwide sort of tally of uh, branches that fall? Mm. Just randomly, so we can sort of get some sort of an idea. And you're right; I, I've always thought it's more the smooth barked mm. ukes, ukes rather, that are, yeah, that are the problem. That are and the certainly problem. bifurcations, just oh, meaning two, course, two yeah. dominant branches. Yes, yes. yes, one of them's always going to be more dominant yep. than the other one, and um, that's a fairly dangerous mm. situation. We, we were also looking at this, and if you could see the situation where it is, you know where it is, AB. Mm. Um, it was definitely to do with water too. Mm. It is it is just absolutely sodden mm. and that was that sort of... So, you know, you've sort of got something on a little bit of a diagonal coming out, that Stressing. second bifurcation, mm. which is as big as the main trunk, so, mm. yeah. Mm. And the thing to, to do in your own garden, <clears throat> excuse me, particularly when you, um, you're planting and the tree is young, is to have a look to see whether you've got that double branch. And if you have a double branch, to try to remove the lesser of the two. Mm-hmm. Yes. So for home gardeners, um, yeah, get out there and have a look at your eucalypts mm. and see whether you've got those competing, le- we call them competing leaders, mm. and take one of them out because it's always going to... Cause you trouble. Cause a problem down the track. <laughs> as, as much as you like the idea, and sometimes it mm. looks really nice. Absolutely, Michelle. Yeah. Mm. And that's interesting because I was chatting with someone during the week. They have a um, um, a New South Wales Christmas bush, a Ceratopetalum aubrey's red, mm. and um, it's tiny. It's probably forty centimeters tall, and when it was moved into the garden out of the pot, the growing tip got removed, either just got knocked off or munched by a possum or something. And so it started spreading sideways and is not going up at all. And I advised the person to – there was one very sort of – thin straggly branch going off to the right I said just pull that up into an upright position and tie it loosely to the stake behind it reduce the other branches by about a half and um, simply by being in that upright position that plant is going to start producing different chemicals and that branch will eventually become the central leader of the plant and and Mm. it'll shoot up so I mean there are ways around things aren't they Mm. for for us to sort of manage these plants when we first put them in Mm. in the ground yeah and I think when you do have that arborist who comes in you can always sort of get a little bit of a gauge by how it's cut is so important oh yeah isn't it so um you're certainly not going to do a nice level flat cut you're Mm. going to have that beautiful angle on it so and you've got the collar you've got you've got the collar left because that's where all of the um, hormones are produced, yeah. Healing, yeah. healing hormones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the fantastic things about our arborist is he lives in the area or, or close by and um, so we're in the bush, environmental living zone, it's all about the habitat of the animals and Dan will come in and, and assess and he'll be like, oh, probably won't take that out because there's a hollow there, could be a sugar glider in there or a bird, whatever. And he's one of these people who gets his ropes and rigging out and hops up and has a look at everything or lowers mm. himself down from another tree, checks it all out from a habitat perspective uh, before anything is removed, mm. essentially. And they're the type of people that you want. 
And and money well spent. I mean, you've got oh, to understand absolutely. that his knowledge is not just, you know, as my mother would say, he didn't lick it off the grass. <laughs> no. I, I like your mother already. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been in her garden this morning, actually. Lick, licking the grass. <laughs> licking the grass, yeah. Oh, yeah, I had to sort of do a – it was so dark at home that I thought, oh, I – called in very quickly she didn't know I was there and uh she's 97 oh that's pretty <laughs> so good. yeah she um I got a few cuttings you know, oh yeah. yes prune, pruned a few bushes yeah, that, yeah that's yeah. a very early start even yes mm. even for a gardener that's an early start mm. Start yeah. start pruning things. Yeah yeah very that's good me. yeah but definitely expert arborist just so worth the money Mm-hmm. Just they, they know what they're on about, and uh, but AB, I don't know about you, but and or you perhaps um, in in Gippsland, uh, it's so hard to get someone at the moment. Oh because yeah, they're so busy. Yes, yes. What with all the rain and, yep. and so on, um, they're terribly busy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I have a friend who uh, who lives in Wangaratta, and he's booked up six months ahead as yes. an arborist. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. if you think you want something done. Um, it's a bit like trying to get a plumber or an electrician. Yes. Um, try and particularly if they're early. very, very good. If they're good, yeah. If yeah. they're very good, yeah. you've got no hope. And, I mean, I've had Dan on many jobs and he's also, we're talking about taking out really narrow cypress um, in an area that's 1,500 wide, metre and mm. a half, you yeah. know. Mm. And they, we're talking, they are 20 metres high. high and he is dropping them with the right cut. Just right down. So yep. with such precision. And you're just going, yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, that is incredible. Mm. So, Ben, how's Gippsland? Dry. Dry, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, we, uh, we had a bit of an issue with our, our water tank because of all that rain that we had um, earlier in the year or, last, or later in last year. And then now all this dry weather we've had, it's, it, uh, it cracked our concrete tank. Um, mm. pretty bad actually so it took a fair bit of work to sort of try and patch it up so I was lucky to save around about I think two and a half thousand litres of water from a 50,000 litre tank <gasps> so Kerry and I we had to rethink what we are going to do we, we rang around and we mm. got quotes and, and all that to sort of you know either fix it or and, all, and you know and there's about three different ways you could fix it um, I just got confused <laughs> with it so we <laughs> yeah. decided we'll just get a, a, brand, a, new a one. brand new tank and mm. I end up Kerry came up with this beautiful idea. We we cut half the tank um, and pretty well dropped the new tank inside it and we're going to do a nice sort of feature around the, the other half that I've actually cut. So we'll make a feature of it instead of... Did you make a horizontal cut? Is that what you're talking about? When you say cut in half or did you cut it in half longwise? Yeah, longwise mm-hmm. and also then horizontal. So we've actually got about a 900mm uh, sort of raise so we can do a garden bed at the front of it. Mm-hmm. So we'll just have something that will grow over the top of it, yeah. Mm. So, But there was an existing vine that was growing over the actual concrete tank so we've actually managed to roll that all the way back and then now we've lifted it and then put it all the way back oh, over. Oh, how fantastic. Well done. Yeah, to keep it nice and cool. And so what is it? The, the vine? Uh, it's a... Um, uh, I'm not sure on the botanical name on it. I think it's a marble marble vine or something. Um, mm-hmm. It gets uh, very similar to like a, a grapevine, uh, okay. but they get nice, beautiful blueberries on them. So, right. mm-hmm. yeah. Sounds interesting. I haven't really sort of... You grow the most interesting plants, Ben, which I guess makes sense being treasured perennials. Mm. Every time you put, post a plant or bring them in, I'm like, well, here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> which I've is got a lot the, coming on. The so. joy, yeah, yeah. fantastic. So. 
Yeah, well, that that's kind of ironic. It's so dry down there. Our river, our river, the Yarrow River, um, where we are, ha- um, was the highest it's ever been uh, because of all the rain, obviously. It was up four metres over our usual river path, which is just incredible. Our, um, yeah, so that was unbelievable to see. And usually at Christmas time, uh, when you go down for a swim, it's all, almost not moving and you can swim upstream really easily. But boy, oh boy, still flowing so, so Stunning. fast. Just, yeah. yeah, just had to hang mm. on next to the edges. It was just a Otherwise little bit too dangerous. Down at the casino. <laughs> <laughs> and you think of people with pontoons along the river there, which we know there are many of. Yeah. That yeah, there would have been a fair bit of damage mm. to a lot of that water. Yeah, yeah. trees yeah. down, the big uke uh, came, fell across the other side of the river, fell into yeah. the river. So you just don't know what's there. Like you think you know where all the underground trees are because mm. we swim in it quite a lot. But um, after rain like that, yeah. who knows what's what's where. And, and as it drops, you, you're also thinking of the canoers and all, of, all the people who are going to be in the water and the... There's so many across from you diagonally. Yep. That they get in the water there and, oh, hundreds of them yeah. go over the year, wouldn't they? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And you can always hear them coming past. We've got uh, the Wonga Park Scout Camp, I forget the name of it. Anyway, Scout Camp, and there's a canoe launch there. So people often either stop there, they've come from upstream and, and stop there on their way to Warrandyte, essentially. Most people mm. sort of go to Warrandyte and Pound Bend and through there. And I always get a bit of a chuckle where um, I'll be down having a little swim and um, kids will come by and they're on um, blown up tyre inners and moving really slowly. And I'll be like, oh, where are you off to? And, oh, we were off to Warrandyte. And I'll think to myself, gosh, it's going to take about eight days to get down to Warrandyte <laughs> at that speed on those things. So rather than <laughs> popping down in a kayak. But, yeah, it's yeah. It's, a, it's a fun, nice fun thing to, to do. It is place to live. Yeah, you it is beautiful. live close by as well, I Loretta. Do. Yes, yeah. I'm in Christmas Hills. And, okay, uh, fantastic. KG. Yeah. Oh, Kangaroo Ground. Yeah, yeah. so Loretta yeah. gets the, the view across the Yarra Valley. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually went to Cranbourne Gardens yesterday and couldn't we left really early and, and it was just that complete blanket cover through the valley which you usually get in the middle of winter, not in oh, the middle the of summer. Yeah, the, the fog. fog the whole way through. We had it too. Did you have it, Ben? Did we have fog? We had fog till about mm, lunchtime yesterday. Ah. Yeah, no, yeah. I was, we were actually at Phillip Island, so, oh, yeah, okay. so we didn't really see it. But um, we... Uh, I do say because normally when, when it is in the area, we we do cop get it. it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's surprisingly we've noticed that even like um, like four weeks ago we're getting it. Yeah, and it's yeah. just a unusual sort of settling sort of sign that it's but it shouldn't it's sort be. Of good for the garden because there's a little bit of mist in the air, so mm. that's a little bit of moisture yes. f- at least for the for Where the leaves. You, I'm in Briagalong, which is between Sale and Bairnsdale. Oh. In, the, in the foothills of the Great Divide. How long does it take you to get here? Oh, just three hours. <laughs> no, really, how long? Each, each way. Yeah. Three hours? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Where's the crown? You you get the, <laughs> the, crown, get today. the crown today. <laughs> goodness gracious. Yeah. But look, we, we come relatively often uh, to Melbourne. There's always functions and things um, going on. I have a son who lives in Melbourne, so uh, he's involved in the theatre, which is up and up and going nicely now. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so we come back and forth fairly 
regularly. Do you listen to uh, Audible and podcasts? <laughs> How good are, are the other are the other um, programs on Three CR? I just yeah, yeah, yeah I good. often will flick over and just really enjoy just the the diversity, I suppose, yeah. and the mm. um, yeah the the real voices and the the real issues. Um, without Actually, anything my, else. my husband and I have just put together an audio play. Um, it's not it's not released yet. Yes, but uh, an audio play about my um, very adventurous grandfather who uh, ended up spending. Well, he 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 rode a bicycle from da- from Adelaide to Darwin. <clears throat> excuse me, in 1914. Oh my goodness! And he set a record that's never been broken. And uh, and then he spent three years up in Darwin. He was a photographer, and his photographs have become you know collectors' items and whatever. So very very exciting and interesting. You wait for it. How Audio fabulous! Play. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. And what's it called? Ryko R Y K O. Ah, that's on your website. It is. I had a really brief look at your website and I was like, oh, that looks interesting. I'll have to come back to that. So that's what that's, that story that, is. What that, that's about, yes. Yeah, how fabulous. So he um, he was a very good cyclist and um, and during World War One became a person of suspicion because of his German origins, mm-hmm. even though he was a second-generation Australian, and also because he was a photographer. And um, they thought that he ended up with an ASIO file, which, which was really interesting. I've come across that a little while back now. Gosh. Um, so uh, he went off and lived with the Aboriginal people, with the Indigenous people for some uh, almost a year. Yep. And, um, in Darwin area? In Arnhem Land. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Yes. So it's a, a very interesting thing because I didn't actually know that grandfather. Mm. And I've uh, gleaned all of this information from his photographs. And he was a journalist as well. And some members of the family who still live up in Nil um, have been also very kind in providing information. So it's oh. been a wonderful journey mm. for me. That is awesome. So yeah. that must be where you get your adventuring spirit from. I suppose so. <laughs> I reckon it's genetic because be later on in life, this same grandfather uh, became a botanical collector. And again, I didn't know that. And his uh, specimens are housed in the National Herbarium here in Melbourne, as well as others in South Australia as well. And it wasn't until I um, was researching him that I found that he had such a strong interest in botanical things. And, I mean, I've got a collection of plants in the National Herbarium. Do you? How, how weird is that? Fantastic. <laughs> what do you have in the herbarium? Um, plant, I collected up in Arnhem Land mm-hmm. um, without knowing anything about this grandfather. And um, with, with my kids' school, we went on a collecting expedition following Leichhardt and his journey across Australia. Yep. So the um, the collection that we made uh, during that period, went off to the National Herbarium and then I found out my grandfather had a collection there. Oh, my goodness. And you just go, really? That's, how, how could that happen? That's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that is really incredible. And what about, are you still taking tours? Yes, yes, indeed. We have um, some tours going at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one place left for Galapagos, mm-hmm. Cusco Machu Picchu, uh, Patagonia and Antarctica. Ah. So those last two are new. We've been doing Cusco, Machu Picchu and Galapagos for some some years, yep. well, except for COVID. Mm. And then Patagonia and Antarctica are new for, for this year. They'll be going in November and December. Ah, oh, beautiful. And people just hop onto your website? They, hop onto my yep. website, which is all the W's, dot adland, that's yep. A-D-L-A-N-D, yep. dot com dot A-U. Oh, I'd love 
to do the Galapagos. You need to, just one mm. spot left, <laughs> maybe just one. When do you go to the Galapagos? October. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. That doesn't work for us. Oh, what no. do you mean? One spot. The one spot, exactly. It yeah. Has to be two. <laughs> it has oh, to, it has to be two. two. Yes. Well, whoever gets there first. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the other one can be on the waiting list because, you know, it's a long time between now and then. Sometimes people... Um, withdraw for whatever reason. Yes, yes, mm. no, fair enough. All right, well, guys, I better get to some community announcements. Uh, so first of all, today in Footscray, so we've got three open gardens in Footscray and they're all edible gardens and I've hopped mm. onto the Open Gardens Victoria website who are opening them and they're so sweet. They're very creative. They're, they look like they have packed a lot into a small space. Uh, so we've got David's Productive Garden at 16 Central Avenue in Footscray. We've got Marcus and Jen's Productive Garden at 52 Dudley Street in Footscray. And we've got Francisco and Michael's Food Garden at 2 Hope Street in West Footscray. All three gardens are open between 10 and 4.30. Adults are $8, students are $5 and under 18 are free. Uh, and if you want to have a look and um, see if they're the type of thing that you want to go and uh, peruse further, you can hop onto the Open Gardens Victoria website and have a look. There's some lovely photos up there. There is a garden open on the 25th and 26th of February and this is Karen's Garden in Brighton and it's located just moments from Brighton's North Point and Foreshore Bay Trail. It's a three-quarter acre hidden oasis and it'll be open uh, through the Open Gardens Victoria. Created on an entire house block adjoining the owner's home and hidden behind a high wall, this garden contains beautiful mature trees such as ginkgo and jacaranda that stand tall over expansive lawns. Additionally, deep serpentine garden beds combine to give this spacious garden a tranquil park-like atmosphere. Colourful and coordinated plantings of shrubs and perennials make for a lush display, all carefully tended by owner Karen Joel, a self-described enthusiastic gardener. I had a look at the photos online and she must be very enthusiastic because her garden is superb. Uh, Other trees to admire include various species of ash, Chinese elm, crepe myrtle, Japanese maples and a magnificent Grevillea robusta, which would probably be in flower I'm just trying to think mm. uh, anyway it looks beautiful so again this is an open gardens Victoria garden so you can hop onto their website and have a look and see if uh, that sort of thing appeals to you um, there's at the end of the street visitors will find refreshments at the iconic North Point Cafe uh, with its stunning bay views so this is Karen's garden at nine Brandon close in Brant Brighton, so Brandon is B-R-A-N-D-O-N, Saturday the 25th and Sunday the 26th of February from 10 till 4.30pm. Adults are $10, students are $6 and under 18 are free. You can get tickets at the gate or go to um, try booking or even go to Open Gardens Victoria and, and just click through the links there. 
So that is um, that's all we've got. So there's no um, giveaways for gardens at the moment, and we'll also be talking about the Dahlia Show, which is coming up also on the 25th and 26th. But we'll wait until we chat with uh, Pam at 8:30 and get the lowdown on the garden. Um, we've got a we 3CR has a subscriber drive uh, for this coming week. So. Starts tomorrow and runs for the entire week. Uh, subscriber Drive is just all about um, getting people to actually subscribe to the station, essentially become a mini member, I think you could say. And um, the, by being a subscriber, it really uh, helps keep the station operating. So, similar in a way to our radiothon that we have, but this is just a, um, a sort of an ongoing commitment uh, for the year. So, you subscribe for the year. Uh, essentially, we need members to survive, and by becoming a subscriber, you help 3CR to remain fiercely independent, free of commercials and corporate influence, which is always fantastic. And it's $80 for a waged person or $40 for concession. And if you happen to be in a band or organisation, it's $150. Uh, so you can call the station uh, during business hours on 94198377 or you can just hop online and there's plenty of links to get you through. Uh, so, I mean, just sort of selling it a little bit further, I suppose, um, from from the, the garden show point of view, I feel like um, listeners have they have access to really great expert information from all of us that come in every week Um, no ads which always sort of blocks the momentum of talking about plants and we all just love to keep rambling on about plants and um, sort of further sort of past the garden show it allows voices to be heard that are usually few and far between in commercial radio so that and that is honestly one of the things that I love most when I tune into 3CR Anytime during the week, there's um, someone on and you always get to learn something new and, and even just hearing the different voices, uh, it's, uh, it's always quite a joy. And um, it connects us to sort of the real world, what's happening around the place. Um, there's lots of First Nations people's news and music. There's education, politics. There's... Um, uh, programs from inside prisons and about prisons and the LGBTQIA community and all sorts of the building trades, things like that. So there's literally everything you could ever want. Uh, so it would be fantastic if um, people became subscribers. And I think uh, for $80 or $40, I think that's um, uh, a really lovely way um, to, yes, spend your money. So... You can also call us now, either to subscribe, or you can just call us to have a chat about gardening or ask a gardening question. Our number is 94190155, and that's to talk to us on air or to give uh, Burn and Tom, our producers, um, a little message to come and give us in the studio, or you can text us on 0488 809. Eight double five. So we would love to hear any questions you have or any experiences you're having with um, 
being dry in your area or being overly wet in your area. Just, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear what's going on. Uh, my name is A.B. Bishop and I'm in the studio with Michelle Adler, who is a tour leader, horticulturalist and friend of Burnley Gardens, uh, landscaper Loretta Childs and owner of Treasured Perennials Nursery, Ben Brooker. So feel free to give us a call. All right, Ben, we are talking tomatoes and we're talking aloe vera and you mentioned that to me and I was like, what is this link? What's going on? <coughs> Well, it's that time of year. So tomatoes, everyone grows tomatoes. Yes. Um, so, but this time of year, when you start getting a little bit late in the season, you start getting like your, your fungal problems, like your um, powdery mildews or blossom end rot around mm-hmm. tomatoes. Uh, a lot to do with probably humidity and um, also with blossom end rot, you have a very uh, deficiency in probably like calcium in the soil or mm-hmm. if it, calcium is actually there. It actually moves very slow throughout the plant, so you start getting the blossom in rot because it's not yet producing the minerals it actually needs to to, to ripen the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, so with aloe vera, aloe vera actually has a compound called salicylic acid in it, um, which is actually something that's really beneficial for anything in that solanaceae family. Mm-hmm. Um, you honestly if you mix that up in just to get a 20 litre bucket um put about six or seven leaves of aloe vera leaves in it fill it up with water and just crunch all the leaves together um you can also add like things like uh um kelp uh even a bit of um molasses so mm-hmm. just for that sugar content to start feeding any microorganisms actually it's, it's sort of juicing in the in that brew um and then going out once you you've mixed it all together um just going out and spraying the the actual leaf of the tomato uh, and that will actually absorb the, the salicylic acid into into the plant and also the other minerals that you've actually provided through like the kelp and and, uh, and, the, and the molasses as well. So what that does is it actually it'll prevent a lot of diseases building up around the plant mm-hmm. and also it, it helps the flow uh, of all the minerals through, throughout the plant as well. So it just makes it a lot easier. That so. sounds incredible. I, I've never heard of using squashed up aloe vera on... On anything really, apart from your face, uh, yeah. <laughs> sunburn. Yes, sunburn, sunburn yes, yes. Yeah. But it does; it slows the precipitation down as well, so yeah. that plant's not actually uh, releasing that moisture uh, into the atmosphere either. So mm-hmm. it's actually sort of holding it in, and it's circulating throughout the tomato. So if there's a yeah. little bit of residue left on the leaf um, of the salicylic acid, that might be um, of benefits as, as well. Yep. Yeah, because yeah. gen- generally things are taken up through the soil, but if there's a protective layer of, yep. of uh, salicylate, yeah. there it might might be doing the job. Yeah, but it mm. also it actually feeds the so the microorganisms that's actually around your, your leaf surface, so it, it sort of it, it helps like for if, if you've got that good bacteria and microorganisms around the around the leaf surface so, mm. so that's going to help to sort of break down and, and, and sort of solubilize like the the free nitrogen that's actually in our air around atmosphere so you sort of need to sort of have all that around you mm. it'd be nice so. to do a little double blind trial oh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it? To, uh, to actually ascertain how how effective that would be yeah, yeah. so do you do it when you're already noticing problems or you do it as a preventative? You do it as a pre- preventative. Okay. Yeah, mm. so it's better to start doing it earlier when yep. the tomato's starting to grow. So you, you find that it, it does benefit anything in that Solanaceae family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that, that includes eggplant as well. Yeah, potatoes. Potatoes, potatoes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Fabulous. Well, and, can and you? This is if you're getting any tomatoes. Can I just say? <laughs> like, uh, that's a good point, and, Loretta. And I don't think I've talked more about lack of tomato crop ever, <laughs> and and it's the moisture. It's exactly what Ben's talking about. This sort of slow growing mm. that is. Uh, yeah, it hasn't really been hot enough, and no. then that's the problem. Yep. And I've had hardly any um, fruit set yes. at all because it hasn't been hot enough. I think they need something like twenty-four degrees for the pollen to be viable. Yes. And so, if it's not hot and at night as well, mm. then you you really have trouble with set. Yes. I was very excited this year because um, I have my lovely gardening woman who comes, Carla, and she um, she gave me there from. Tobacco farmers, um, second, third generation Italian, Sicil- Sicilian, and uh, they are have well the nonna and whoever else up there they have their tomatoes mm. and all sorts of species mm. and so some really interesting different species. I had four. And I was so excited. <laughs> four species or four tomatoes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I was so excited to see them come through and be, um, well, a new flavour, whatever, a new taste. And, yes, I have some miniatures. <laughs> some miniatures. <laughs> They're not supposed to be miniatures. <laughs> Actually, this year, because we were away um, in Antarctica, I didn't get back to the garden until um, close on Christmas, so I didn't start planting. And I, I, I bought some tomatoes from the supermarket, oh dear. But they were tiny, tiny, tiny weenie, only about the size of your fingernail, Mm -hmm. little tomatoes. And they were terribly expensive, $32 a kilo they were. But I bought a little punnet of them and I thought, ah, I'll grow some of these. So, in fact, I saved some of the seed, put it, um, squashed all the juice out and put the seed on some kitchen paper and then allowed that to dry. And then, um, and then I planted them, and about ten days later, up came the little tomatoes. Mm. So they are now only about twenty centimetres high, and I prob- probably won't get a crop. Yes, but at least, um, but that's another thing for people to to perhaps know if they if they have a very good tomato, how to keep the seed mm. and how to then propagate it from mm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, very good. All right. Well, let's go to a first caller for the day. Uh, we've got Sue. Hi, Sue. How are you? Are you there, Sue? Sue might have. Are you there, Sue? Nope. Sue has disappeared for now. Gone away to water her tomatoes. Well, I think I was a little <laughs> bit long in getting to her, so I apologise, Sue, if um, if yeah, if you were still there. Not sure what happened there. Um, Okie dokie, so hopefully we'll chat to Sue later. She did want to know about a moving a ponytail palm. It's seven years old, one metre high. Um, it's, um, she wants to put it into a temporary material bag and wants help with when and how to do it. It um, sounds like something that Loretta's going through with her, mm. <laughs> her brachycotton. Yeah. But the ponytail, I put um, three, four metre ponytail, planted one in a garden about 18 months ago and it was in a terrible state, I've got to say, and I think in the end it was just so delighted to be out of the, <laughs> out pot, of the that pot that it was in this huge pot because this is a really big tree. Um, <clears throat> so... I don't think there's any problem with transplanting at all because you've got more of a, a tight, fibrous sort of root system. Mm. And, 
as long as you know you, you give it a reasonable berth, give it 500 around that, um, and yeah, you'll, and, you'll be fine. And good watering and making sure it's well drained. That's the, the other drainage thing. Drainage is if mm. you can even raise it slightly. I don't think there's a problem, is there, mm. to have it a little bit raised out of the garden? Oh, and, absolutely. You, know, you can mulch yep. it and whatnot too, but yeah, make sure that drainage is there, particularly if it's going into hard clay. Mm. And ponytail is often something that people keep as an indoor plant for a mm. fair while, or a courtyard plant, and then yes, they do out eventually outgrow their pot. Yep. So the, the most difficult thing might be getting it out of the pot. Mm, <laughs> I have to break we it. We had to cut this. So this pot that I got this one out of was 900 in diameter. Oh, wow. So it was a massive root um, system and uh, it had been in there for a long time. <laughs> and so we were cutting it and cutting it and hard old plastic. So, yes, you may be cutting it out. Mm. And when do you think's the best time? I don't think there is a problem with the ponytail. I'd, no. I'd do that maybe not winter, time. not when it's yeah. pouring with rain. Monday, Monday. Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. Yes, you know <laughs> exactly. Seven thirty. <laughs> no, autumn's the best time. So you still get a bit of warmth yeah. in the ground, yeah. Um, yeah, and then you still get a bit of you know the plant itself. You you won't see any growth on the plant. Um, but you are going to get a bit of root growth happening, so you're yeah. still going to have the warmth there. It'll settle in. Settle in over winter. Yeah. Um, otherwise, wait until spring. Yeah. Sort of, yep. yeah, late winter, early spring before you start moving it. Look, ponytails are easy to move. Mm. They're really easy to move. Mm. So I've moved to quite a few of them. And, okay. Yeah. And uh, you just got to... That's what you needed, Loretta, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you don't want to do it in their growing season when they're putting growth on. Mm. Um, you know, when they when they're doing that, they're actually they're taking a lot of minerals out of the ground, and and if you're cutting that 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 supply off, then your plant could there's more more chance it's actually going to keel over and die, yeah. or it's going to set it right back, um, and then that's when you you'll find all your fungal problems and insects will start attacking it because the plant's suffering um, from you know from no 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 minerals. So autumn, I recommend. Yeah, yeah. I reckon mid autumn just so that it doesn't. Um, <laughs> It's not really rained upon mm. and um, become wet before its roots have established well. I don't think that would. Um, yeah, well, that's be very that's successful. the point about making sure that the drainage is good. Yeah, because yeah, you know, mount it up get a deluge of rain and, and yeah. you might have a little dam of water underneath it if if you haven't prepared the soil properly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So sorry we didn't get to you, Sue. Hopefully mm. we've answered your question. All right, Ben. Let's get to a couple of your plants. So the Maclea, um Microcarpa is um, it's one of we, we actually posted this on on our Instagram page uh, and it's one of our favourite plants for our foliage, um, mm. just a very unique sort of type of foliage. It's one of those ones that looks like a bit of a grape leaf but in a, a oak leaf sort of shape, um, and you have that nice sort of green grey sort of foliage colour in the in the leaf itself. Um, it, it is a plant that tends to want to run a lot if there's a lot of moisture in the ground. Mm-hmm. So in spring, you know, if you're getting a lot of moisture in, in spring, it's going to send out a lot of runners underneath the ground and then you'll find come late spring, sort of summer, you'll find these little little suckering shoots coming through. Um, if not, it'll be the following season, like next spring, you'll start seeing these little shoots pop up everywhere in the garden. Um, so what we normally do is we... we the start of a season, we'll, we'll cut a circle, uh, a perimeter where we what we'd like for it to sort of stay in. 
um, um, we just put a spade in, in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in around it, and that sort of cuts off the circulation of any flow going through to those outer outer suckering shoots, and hopefully they haven't sort of taken root. If they have, we just pull them out. Um, the other way is is if you plant them in a dry spot. So if you've got a dry spot uh-huh. in your garden, so you just find when you first plant them, just um, keep mm-hmm. the moisture up to them and, and get them established, and then, then they'll tend to sort of stay in their own little spot mm-hmm. once they're in a, a dry condition. And beautiful flower. Yeah, so very similar to like a, a smoke bush. Yeah, that's, so, that's what I thought yeah. as soon as I saw it, smoke bush. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it gets up to about, nearly about two, two and a half metres in height. The flower? Yeah, yeah. And so what about the, the shrub itself? So that's the foliage. So you get the foliage, yeah. we get up around about two oh, metres, okay. and then you have an, yep. an extra mm. an extra half a metre on top of that with just your flower spike. Yeah. So, and you have that sort of movement happening in the garden. And what was so, it again? So it's called... Um, Maclea. Maclea, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Actually, Michael, I mistook Michael. it as well. I just saw the flower race and I thought, oh, there we go. <clears throat> and then I remembered I have um, incredible gardens of my sisters in Sassafras in the Dandenongs and then in Warburton and both being mad, mad people mm-hmm. because they're... Because they're gardens. related to you. Because in your family. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, they just, I can't tell you the gardens that they had them in. And now I just clicked when you started talking. Oh, well, of course. And they're the, so beautiful. They beautiful. are. Beautiful. Yeah. There's two varieties. So there's another one that's called Cordata, which actually the, the plume itself is actually more white. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, but they grow the same. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they, this one here actually comes from central China. So, and obviously flowering at this time of year. Yeah, yeah. So yep. some flowering. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and really, it's it's also the leaf. It, even if you're not particularly interested in the flower, the leaf is gorgeous, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what we lobed, grow. We grow yeah. it just for that lobe, uh, for all that for that foliage. Yeah. Lobed and, and silvery whitish green. It's a most unusual colour, isn't it? It yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then come when it comes autumn, then yeah. you'll get a, a sort of orangey brown tinge through it yeah. as well. So it becomes yeah. sort of very velvety. And it, yeah. it's deciduous. It'll lose the leaf. It does, yeah. So it goes back yep. into the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we recommend. Usually, at the start of the season or the end of the season, you actually cut a perimeter yeah. where you would like, if, especially if it's getting a lot of moisture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that actually cuts that circulation off, getting it to those, mm-hmm. those outer, outer shoots. Mm-hmm. But I also like your idea of planting it in a spot which doesn't quite suit it, just to keep it a little bit contained. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's... if you want it to sort of spread, then just feed it heaps of water. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and absolutely divine for. I remember many arrangements because we're all mad flower arranges as well um and she keeps using that word mad i know i know know. (laughs) there's a reason fantastic um flat in arrangements okay yeah so it hangs Mm. yeah it just just lasts for a long time cottonness i use a lot in arrangements too yeah and it's probably i mean a florist isn't possibly going to do that because it won't have the longevity but you know we don't care yeah we just do it anyway Yeah. yeah beautiful Oh, very, very nice. All right, just very quickly, uh, John from Bond Beach has now become a subscriber. So thank you so much, John. That's terrific. And um, someone has messaged in saying, could we ask someone from the Begonia Society to talk about their upcoming show and sale on 25th and 26th of February, which I have obviously missed somewhere. So um, hopefully Emma will talk about uh, that next week. I think Emma's on. Um yeah, so that would be good if somebody um, could chat about the, the Begonia show that's coming on. Otherwise, we will mention it next week. And what else do we have here? Um, sorry. Uh, Peter from Notting Hill. Hi, Peter. Has said, I've grown three different tomatoes this year, all in pots. 
silvery. I'm not sure of the different types. They've all fruited very well, in particular silvery fir tree, which has an enormous amount of fruit. Hmm. Very interesting. Hmm. Haven't haven't heard of Don't that. Know that one? No. No. Fantastic. Anybody well, else? at least some people have had tomatoes, so <laughs> yeah. that's all very nice. All right. Well, let's go to Eleanor in Warragul. Good morning, Eleanor. Good morning. Thank you for holding on. No worries. I was ringing to um, talk about eucalypts that are planted in um, clusters and I missed a little bit at the start um, where you were talking about the collar um, releasing hormones but very interested to hear about anyone's experience of eucalypts in landscape design. I'm looking after a friend's garden and doing the watering while she's away in February and she's got a newly landscaped garden design. Unfortunately, I don't have the plant list um, and I'm a very rusty graduate from Burnley. So I've been trying to identify things as I water them. But the eucalypts really interest me because she's called them snow gums and they're planted in uh, clumps of three on nice mounded shaped beds. And there's sort of very rugged landscaping, very well done with big rocks. Um, you know, placed at the edges of the beds. And I've been watching them move in the Warrigal winds. Um, it's a little bit sheltered, but um, I did take away the big bamboo stakes that they were strapped, literally strapped immovably to these very long bamboo stakes. And I do remember from Burnley um, the thought that the plant needs to develop, needs to move in the wind. That's so wonderful. That can... You you learnt good. <laughs> <laughs> Some things have stuck, but some of the names have gone really rusty. Um, so it's nice connecting with Burnley friends to sort of, um, you know, get prompts about things that are just on the edges of my memory. So they're loosely staked now, and I do watch them moving um, in the wind while I'm watering, but they're quite branchy. And I guess, um, you know, in respect to the owner who's a friend uh, I don't want to spoil the aesthetics of what the landscaper has intended, but I do want to ensure their longevity. And just being so branchy and, and planted close in three and they've got the nice irrigation pipe so that you can give them once a week deep watering while they're establishing. So that's all great. But also they don't look like snow gums, but then I'm thinking of the snow gums I'm familiar with when I've been a, a skier in the past. And they're in a totally different alpine environment, whereas these are planted for their design features in a garden near Warrigal. So I'm getting my head around that they could be and started to look up how I could, you know, positively identify them. Um, but, yeah, I'm just worried about the, the clumpiness of the heads, and that's where the bendy part of the trunk is or the leader. And so in the breeze, they do move around quite a bit um so i just wondered i heard you say about if there's two leaders you can remove one of the leaders but um what if you're just trying to reduce a crown is there any guidance on what is safe to take out and also when if there's any particular time of the year and with other plants that i'm more familiar with when i prune i know that I either take the whole branch off or I cut at a certain point and look for nodes and things like that. But what about a eucalypt branch 
are, if you're going to reduce it, are you better off taking off the side shoot? And I'm talking sort of saplings, you know, that sort of stage of establishment. Mm. Okay, so how tall? Yeah, <laughs> how tall are they, Eleanor? Can I just? Oh, sorry. Okay, they, I just wanted to say, talking about species. So we're probably talking porcelora. Um, there is little snowy. So there are your little dwarfs too, mm. which I have in my garden, which are not going to be possibly such an issue. Mm. And it is yeah. that melly-like base that they have too, which is going to be multi-trunk. Multi-stemmed, yeah. yes. No, they're not multi-stemmed no. at the base. They're okay. definitely, yeah. But I suspect because um, of the landscaper's intention, I suspect they would have used dwarf yep. varieties wherever possible. But these are kind of tricking me because, as I said, I'm looking at the bark peeling off, I'm looking mm. at red stems, I'm looking yeah. at the shape of the leaf. Um, so it remains to be seen if they are that, species but mm. what height either, are they um i would say um taller than me so just over six foot and they would have been planted as established um so mm. you know more established than tube stock and six mm. inch Eleanor, I think perhaps the first thing to do is check that they've been planted correctly because um it as you say, or as you mentioned, they they were staked fairly strongly. That's go, that's going to encourage a very weak stem. So um, if if the stem is weak and and the tree hasn't been planted properly, it's going to move in the ground fairly substantially, and that's that's not going to be a good thing. Um, and so I'm I'm thinking that you're trying to reduce the crown and and bush them out. Is that what you're trying to do? Well, not so much bush them out, but because they're in this small cluster, perhaps they're planted um, about 40 centimetres apart in a little triangle of three. Um, And just when I see the crowns sort of... Because I didn't want to stake them rigidly. I wanted to... When I restaked, I wanted them to have movement and also the aesthetics because they've got lights that shine up at night through the branches, which are going to be a really lovely feature. I didn't want the stakes to detract from that. Um, So I didn't go particularly high. I probably got um, five-foot stakes, thinking that I just need to sort of provide stabilisation from the, you know, the big Gippsland winds. Um, Yeah, they're in a sheltered courtyard, so they probably realised that that was going to contribute to them being a bit sheltered Mm. but yeah it's just the fact that the crowns are are so branchy um and they don't really have a leader they're just like a sort of a a mop on the top um yeah and i'm just sort of thinking you know because you've got all the surface area of the leaves so every time the wind blows through it's pressing on the surface area and that sort of produces more bendy movement so it was just for the benefit of allowing them to have movement and not constraining them but not putting them at risk of, you know, bending so much that the crown might snap. Yeah, I I feel like, Eleanor, um, it could be worth trying to find out what they are, so maybe getting in contact with the landscaper before you do anything because they've obviously got a particular vision uh, of what it's going to do and and planting them closely together like that, they're naturally going to grow smaller anyway. Uh, And and intermingle. I mean, they're 40 centimetres, 400 is very close. close. Yeah, yeah. Can I suggest something? Yeah, of course you can. So... With, because these plants are so close together, why don't you try and make a, a feature out of the plant? So you, you, you actually thin the tree out, um, pick 
some branches that have actually got character about them um, and then keep damage later and just keep sort of thinning the, the actual tree out and then keeping it cut down to, a, to that smaller exactly, size. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I'm asking, so what, how to thin them. So can I, when I'm taking off a branch that I'm thinning out, rather than reducing it and, you know, leaving a, you know, a 10-inch stub or something of the branch, is it, you know... I mean, aesthetically, I think it's better to go back to where the branch has come from and remove it entirely. But I was just wanting a bit more guidance because I really... I haven't pruned eucalypts before because they haven't required pruning. Have you been asked to prune them? Um, No, but I've been um, suggesting it and wanting to, but holding back again because I don't know the species and I'm just sort of something being called by their common name because I'm unfamiliar with them used in this way, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, they don't look like snow gums, but as I said, I'm used to the ones that you see when you go skiing or something like that. Mm. Yeah, so they could also be lacrimans, eucalyptus lacrimans, which is another of the snow gums, and they tend to be uh, probably more upright and more willowy and open. Uh, so I would, that sounds I, good. Yeah, so I would definitely um, try and get in contact with a landscaper and, and find out what they are and, and make a note of it. And it's so Is definitely... It, how do you spell that species name? L-A-C-R-I-M-A-N-S. Oh, thank you. I'll look that up too. Mm. There is also yeah, a, a subspecies that um, grows around the Mornington Peninsula as well. So there's, oh. there's a few little quirks there that you might need to investigate mm. Um, finding out exactly what it is is a, is a great idea. Yeah, and as, I think, you know, what Ben's saying is um, on the money, really, because he's, it's, I mean, we can't see them, so it is really difficult. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, as horticulturalist, you can see really clearly where you're going to prune, Ben, can't you? And well, the best thing what, is when you, you know, have, a gla- have a glass of wine. Oh, well. and, and sit back. That and sounds just, dangerous uh, already. And you, you actually look at it. So it's like treating it like. Uh, have you ever done bonsais before? Uh, no, but I've done a lot of other creative aesthetic pruning. Yeah, so because like, what I've been told, like with, with, with bonsaiing, is best you, you actually you, you look at the plant Stand and, back. and and you sort of you do it over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine or, or something like that. So you can actually sort of see the structure of where, uh, yeah. of how the, the actual tree is going to grow and what branches you actually need to take out. Um, it's one of those things you sort of really take your time with it. Don't, don't, mm. don't rush it. And it's a very personal thing too, Ben, isn't it? It uh, is, yeah. Pruning anything is a very mm. personal thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a matter of how you visualise it mm. in the end mm. um, and, you're not going to do it any damage, I'm sure. But it is probably it is viable, I think, to to work out what variety it is yeah, because if it is a variety that can get very big, um, it, you, when you start cutting it, you uh, you you're weakening the tree. So you you find that you know if you move away from mm. well, you sell a property and you move on, and, and the next people that move in, let the tree get really big. Um, you'll find a lot of those branches will, will become they're actually not, not as strong as they would if they were naturally sort of yeah. shooting themselves. But certainly so. do it uh, sooner rather than late. If you're going to begin mm. this at this stage, this is the yeah. time to do it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Check, check that root system. Make sure it's stable in the ground anyway because that's, that's another part. If it's, if it's exposed to a lot of wind, it's going to be moving um, quite, quite some distance. Mm. Yeah, no, that they're all excellent points and it's um 
even though you can't see what I'm talking about, it, it does um, provide a lot of help for making those decisions. And watering is a wonderful time to stand back and mm. look at things. It's mm. probably why I've been thinking about it so much because really my only job at the moment is to keep them alive, but I've been watching it and, you know, occupying my mind and watering to me is normally boring, but I've been quite enjoying um, this aspect. Um, but I would love it if anyone has got a quick and easy suggestion of a plant ID app so that I stop pestering my friends when I see something and want to remember what it is. Yeah, well, you can always send through a photo, Eleanor, to um, to the three CR email, and we'll yep. have a look at it. Uh, so the address is the numeral three cr dot gardening at gmail dot com, and yep. just um, make sure your photos are in focus. I will say yep. that, <laughs> and uh, take a, a shot of like a broad shot so we can see the whole plant and then a few close-ups of leaves. Don't know if it's in flower or if it's ever flowered and there's um, any of the capsules around. Take a photo of them because they're all really good identifying features and, and we'll try and nut it out for you. Yeah, it's got tiny little buds at the moment and it's in the right number on the cluster, but they're not chubby like the ones that I've seen when I've been trying to identify it. So it could be the use of the plant, but, yeah, they're quite tiny little capsules. So yeah, I really take a photo really of them and yeah. how many, mm-hmm. and let me know how many there are, all those yeah. sorts of things. And so zoom in on the operculum, which is the little lid on top of the bud. Yeah. Uh, all of those are really useful identifying features for ukes. Yep, that's great. And I've just got one more um, quirky fact before I go um, about aloe vera. Uh-huh. Um, it's a total um, segue or um, sidetrack, but aloe vera, um, the use that I've been told about, I've never tried it, so I can't say it's um, researched, but you can squeeze the juice onto, if you have an animal um, like a dog per se, as I have, that has um, a pink nose, so the noses that are more prone to getting skin cancers on dogs because they don't have the black pigment, the aloe vera juice is supposed to be a natural sunscreen. Hmm. So the problem with putting a sunscreen on a dog's nose is, of course, they can reach with their tongue and take it off. But apparently, like I said, too scared to try it until I see research. But apparently, if they lick it off, they don't get harmed by the aloe vera juice. And they maybe don't like the taste either. Possibly. Yes. Oh, well, that, that's a good tip. All right. Well, we better let you go. Um, we've got to move on to our interview with uh, Pam from the Dahlia Society. So hopefully we've managed to uh, give you a few hints and tricks to deal with the ukes. Yes. Thank you very much, all of you. Good on you. No Thanks. Worries. Thanks, Bye-bye. Eleanor. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, uh, of course, we all love dahlias. We love having them in the garden this uh, time of year. They bring beautiful pops of colour. And um, I would like to welcome to the show the president of the Victorian Dahlia Society, Pam Albert. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, Abby. How are you? (laughs) Very well. Sorry to keep you on the line for a little bit. Thanks for calling in. That's very... No worries. Now, we are going to talk about the Dahlia show, which is coming up, but uh, we had a a brief chat a couple of days ago and I was intrigued by your uh, journey towards Dahlia. So maybe we could start off by, I suppose, what's your background in horticulture, if you have a background in horticulture? Well, I do. I've had a wonderful career in horticulture 
as a 16-year-old, I my mum identified that I loved outdoors and saw an article about Burnley Horticultural College. And the rest is my story because it was the most wonderful place to start your, you know, to start a career. Three full-time years of study, um, very uh, informally. It was just a wonderful place. And this, we're talking uh, late 60s here. And, oh, wow. Uh, you know, I was interested in the snow gum because the native plants were really... Um, a, a huge popular uh, type of gardening and so my first job ever I crossed the Nullarbor and worked at Kings Park Botanic Garden. Oh good on you and had Fantastic. a wonderful year there and mm. from there I spent a What an adventure years. What an adventure it, that would have yeah, been It was an adventure I was nine, I, t- I turned 19 crossing the Nullarbor Wow <laughs> And uh, and then uh, after that year, I went to Canberra Botanic Garden, hmm. and that was in the early years of Canberra. Um, wonderful, wonderful! So much research going on, and so you know, just this world of native plants. And I had the good fortune to become a technician to the botanist. So I actually went out in the field and collected seeds and cutting material, learned how to uh, identify and ended up working in the herbarium. So I've got that background of, of taxonomy, which has been a great skill to have. You know, it, it kind of gives you another perspective on on when you see a plant name to actually understand where it's come from. And then I got the Wanderlust, and I ended up in Argentina. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Just come back from Argentina myself. I loved oh, it. Oh, isn't it the most <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. And what and did you do in Argentina? I, yeah, and, and there I chanced on a job working in an orchid and <laughs> tropical foliage nursery. Wow. Okay. Which was interesting. And I learned tissue culture and um, propagate orchids. Um, so that was a. Where, whereabouts were you? Were you in Buenos Aires? Or I was in you? Buenos Aires. Yeah, okay. Fabulous. Yeah, I was in Buenos Aires. I actually didn't marry an Argentine. So oh. <laughs> that prolonged my, my <laughs> time in. Uh, I'm no longer married to him, but that's okay. That was a wonderful It was time a good experience. <laughs> I, I experienced a revolution and. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And how did you get into dahlias, which I assume you're into, being the president of the society? Well, it's only a recent development. You know, I came back to Australia and and built a nursery and and actually spent 20 years in Port Macquarie with a retail nursery and then came back to Melbourne. And my youngest, I've got three daughters, and my youngest is a florist. And for a time there, she was creating succulent um, that was in vogue. You know, you'd have bowls of succulents and, and wall features. And, and I said, oh, you, you need a, a flower to sell with when she went to market. And so I got my thinking cap on and it was time to plant dahlias. It was September. And I hunted around and Mr. Google was very obliging and gave me the name of a chap called John Menzel, who was the father, really, of the wonderful um, development of dahlias in Australia. And he lived 
lived in a place called Winky. So any dahlia that has Winky in front of it was the breeding of John Menzel. So anyway, John supplied me 125 tubers, mm. and that was seven years ago. And I thought, oh, I need to know more about <laughs> this plant. And so John, because he was president of the, of the Australian Dahlia Society, and he encouraged me to come along to the conference and, and join the local um, society. And the rest is history. And I, I um, had this wonderful experience of meeting beautiful, friendly people and this amazing flower, which I didn't have a lot of experience with. I, I can remember my mum, who was an avid gardener, always had them in her garden. Because mm. I think that's what gardeners love, is being able to go out and pick a few blooms. Well, the dahlia gets top marks all through summer. You can get a bloom. Fantastic. So that's how it all began. And and those 125 plants um, are now 5,000. Oh, 5,000. Goodness gracious. <laughs> and, I, and we have this small business. Needless to say, this daughter, you know, after the one season, she decided... Uh, it was easier working in a shop <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and went back to what she does best, this beautiful creative floristry. And so my husband and I were left with these tubers at the end of the season and and um, so it's begun. And, and this morning, you know, I, each time I... This is far too much work, far too much work. But you go out first thing in the morning to pick because we supply florists with the blooms. And, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning, this morning was just gorgeous because we'd had a bit of rain overnight. So the air is so fresh and crisp and the and the dahlia bushes just flourish, you know. No, nothing like rain, is there? Yeah, absolutely. And so what's your go-to tips for growing really beautiful dahlias? What, what, are, what are some do's and don'ts? Well, their biggest enemy is wet feet. Mm-hmm. They are prone to rot, the tuber rots. So the secret is to to hopefully lift them, you know, have a raised bed. Uh, they enjoy organic um, soils. They like a pH about 6.5 to 7. Um, growth feeders, I mean, you, you have to realise that it's a very fleshy, um, succulent kind of plant, so it produces lots of foliage and uh, as a matter of course lots of blooms, so they love being fed. And the good old standby of seaweed tonics and fish emulsions are, you know, fortnightly, weekly and weekly, John Menzel used to say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, And you get this wonderful wonderful bush uh, they do like to be because they grow so quickly they do like to be staked I was just um, going to ask you about the stakes Michelle here yeah, um, because uh, some of them are, are really very tall and you do need to stake them, what's, what's your opinion there? I didn't quite understand so, that AB, sorry. Oh do you, uh, Michelle was just asking uh, what's your staking. opinion about staking well because we grow so many, we actually use forest wire, which is 
kind of like a, a mesh of um, six-inch square uh, configuration, old school, of course, <laughs> that 10 centimetres. And the plant, it's just to support the plant and make the stems grow straight. But with a, a hardwood stake, uh, you know, kind of six six inches or so away from... It, it's always a good rule of thumb when you're planting your tuber in, in October, November, um, you, you place your stake first, hammer your, your stake in, and then put your tuber six inches away from that stake with the crown closest to the stake. And then as it grows, of course, then that growth is following um, your stake and you then tie it at intervals. Uh, depending on the variety, how tall it grows. A lot of dahlias grow 1.2 metres. I'll go into you know, four, four foot high. Um, some can grow as high as two metres high. Uh, Helena and uh, Winky Mark, um, Bracken Joan, really tall growers. So it's and that's that takes knowledge. You know, you your first season you make your mistakes and you learn about your varieties. <laughs> and because it's become the the flavour of gardeners, um, so much more is being known. You know, people are recording, and there's some fabulous sites on um, the internet now that give tremendous information. Our very own society have created a fabulous website. You know, that just informs people. So there's great ways to, to get your knowledge. You know? Oh, fantastic. And you've got your show coming up, so let's have a chat about that. Yes, our show's on Saturday the 25th of February and it runs over into the Sunday, the 26th. On Saturday, uh, the, our doors open at 1pm to 5pm. On the Sunday, it's from 10am to 3pm. And why it's late on the Saturday, because all these avid uh, daily growers exhibit their flowers. And it's, uh, and it's a tough game. You, you've got to... Um, it's very competitive, <laughs> uh, but lots of fun. So judging occurs on the Saturday morning, and um, there's a, a lot of detail and a lot of inspection that takes place to choose the, the winning bloom. Oh, so when yeah. visitors come, they can see the, the winning dahlias, is that right? Exactly. Fantastic. Yes. Oh, that so sounds really good. Yes. I was just going so to say... that's held at, at Mount Waverley Community Centre. Yeah. Okay, and that 47 Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley? Correct. Yep, Correct. and $5 for adults, concession holders $2, and children yes. are free. You've got... Yep. Lots of things going on by the look of it. Yes, there's, there's activities for children. We have a, a fabulous uh, photography exhibition. We have the invariable uh, devotees. <laughs> and lots of, um, there'll be a huge range of uh, potted dahlias. When people are hooked on these gorgeous blooms, they can go and uh, hopefully find the variety that they like and cut flowers as well. Fantastic. And do yeah. you, um, from your own uh, property where you grow, do you sell to the public or is it to florists only? No, no, we supply florists. Okay, okay. Yes. Oh, good to know. 
Yes. A, and, a, uh, a, quick que- uh, a quick question here, because I, I understand that when dahlias were originally uh, cultivated, they were thought of as an edible vegetable. Have you heard that and have you tried it? Well, you know, in the 1700s, when, mm. when the world was being opened up by these very va- brave explorers, the dahlia was discovered in Mexico and brought back to Europe. Huh. And yes, it was consumed as a as a vegetable, a bit like a potato. So it is edible, but I think you'd have to be hard up to... <laughs> now, I'm interested to hear you say that because I have given it a little taste and thought, mm, I think potato's probably better, <laughs> maybe sweet potato even yeah, better. <laughs> sure. But isn't it curious, you know, uh, the potato originated in Mexico too, so um, South America, the, yes. something there in that uh, ecosystem in the soil. Yes. Uh, Pam, uh, can you give out the uh, website of where people could uh, go to get more information about the show and and about dahlias? Certainly. www.dahliasocietyofvictoria.org.au Fantastic. All right, Pam. Well, look, thank you so much uh, for chatting with us this morning and good luck with the show. I hope everyone comes along. It'll be just a beautiful place to... To ooh and ah on these gorgeous blooms. I think Instagram will be getting a, a workout that day. <laughs> very much so. Thank All right. you very much. Thank, okay. Thanks so much for your time. But okay, then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Pam Albert from the uh, Dahlia Society of Victoria talking about their show coming up on the 25th and 26th of February. This is the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop. I'm in the studio with Ben Brooker from Treasured Perennial Nursery, uh, landscaper Loretta Childs and um, tour leader and horticulturalist and friend of Burnley Gardens, Michelle Adler. Uh, you can give us a call on 94190155 if you'd like uh, to ask a question or just say something generally about gardening. Uh, you can text us on 0488 809 855. Subscribe to 3CR. Where else can you hear radical news, analysis, music, and opinions? Interesting. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. Thank you, 3CR. We love you. Now, Ben, a couple of people have um, messaged in saying, where can we get your plants, which are always so amazing. And people should follow you. What are you a treasured perennial nursery on Instagram? Yes, we are. Yes, yeah. so everyone can get as confused about amazing plants as I do. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we've still got heaps of things coming through yep. um, that I haven't even released yet. So Yeah, so well, do people buy, like ring you and buy them or do they come to shows or uh, what is it? At the moment, it shows. Mm-hmm. So we've got three coming up um, in in the next uh, in the next month. Uh, so March and April. Mm-hmm. So the first one we we start at Whittlesea. Um, that's on the uh, the fourth and fifth of March. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a new one for us. So it did. It started last year, but it sort of clashed with Fernie Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were already committed with Fernie Creek, so yep. we you know couldn't do last year. So this year they're actually a week before. So yeah, so we'll 
this is a, a new one for us. Um, so they've actually got some presenters there. So they'll have uh, Nathan Stewart. I think he does. Uh, I think with bees. So and mm-hmm. uh, I think Chloe Thompson is an, oh, another. Oh, fantastic! One. Yeah. So she's another another speaker there. And there's also Millie Ross as well. Fantastic. So she'll be a, spe- a speaker at uh, at Whittlesea. Um, and so that's the first weekend in March. Yeah, so the 4th yep. and 5th. Yeah, yep. fantastic. Yep. And I assume we'll be able to find out more information online, Whittlesea Whittle yeah, Garden yeah. Show. You should something. do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if you jump on online. Yeah, and um, do you advertise where you're going to be on Instagram, don't you? We do, yeah. yeah. So we've already post, started posting, like, save the dates um, for the next uh, for the th- three shows. Um, and then the plants that we have been sort of posting, there'll be plants that we'll be taking Beautiful. as well. So plus plus more. Plus more, yes. Yeah, so especially some, some new varieties coming along. So, been to uh, yeah. your stand at the Yarra Valley Plant Fair, the last one, and that you had a lot of plants. Yeah, we took um, – uh, it was about nearly 2,500 plants we ended up oh. taking, so it was a, quite a substantial amount of plants we took. Um, but the variety-wise, we, we probably would have taken at least, I think, nearly three, 400 varieties. Um, and that's just the start of our list. So we've got a, quite a substantial list. Um, so try and every – well, we try for every different show, we try and take something that's new. Yep. Um, so it sort of makes it more interesting for – especially for the irregular customers as well. So they're not just seeing the same old, the same, same thing. old thing. The same thing, yeah. Yeah, so beautiful. more different. And then trying to bring things into the country um, – I'm not importing plants, but I'm actually been bringing seed in, mm-hmm. uh, and sort of sort of try and stick with the species varieties, and and try and think as well as well what else is not in the country. Yeah. So and try and bring something like that in. Yeah. Fantastic. And so. are there any countries that you buy from more often, or just do you do sort of around the world and eighty plants and yeah, around the world. <laughs> yeah, around the world. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, it, it's a bit harder now because now they've got the, the phytosanitary certificate and a lot of growers now um, overseas, I just can't even buy off anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't want to, you know, have anything to do with the phytosanitary certificates. Yeah. So um, so it's a lot harder to get different species now. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm sort of regulating, you know, what you know what I can and what I can't bring in. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Mm. Oh, very but, good. The next show after Whittlesea, we actually will be at uh, Fernie Creek, the Horticulture Society. Mm-hmm. So that's on the, the 11th and 12th of March. Yep. Um, that's just out at, uh, at uh, is it Sassafras there? Um, yeah, just on, was it 100 uh, Hilton Road? Yeah, and beautiful yeah. display gardens as well. So yeah. people can take a picnic or. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a beautiful It's, out, it's a beautiful show, that yeah. one. Yeah, I have to yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah, just enjoy being there because it's just that scenery around. Yeah. 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 But, and then after that, we have the Yarra Valley Plant Fair, which is on the 22nd and the 23rd of April. Mm-hmm. Um, the guest speaker there will be Stephen Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, but also what they're doing, they're doing a, a fundraiser as well um, for, for the Cancer Foundation for, for Kids. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have like a little potting table um, there for, for the kids to go and pot things up. And uh, I think Jane Edmondson is going to be there on the Sunday to sort of, yeah, to look after that. Yep. Um, and then also there'll be a uh, uh, an auction, a plan auction mm-hmm. uh, on the Sunday. So any all the profit and that will go to, to the, that foundation. Yeah, so yeah. lots going on really, isn't there? Mm. I mean, even though we're coming into autumn, still still plenty going on. Yeah, there is. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. and then we have the, that quiet spell over winter. Yeah, so trying to prepare we can breathe. For, yeah, we'll prepare for, for spring. Yeah. So, yeah. 
And we've got the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show coming up too. We do. We absolutely do. 29th of March. Yes, yes. I'm entering the – actually, so is Loretta. We're actually enemies now. We're both entering the Hanging Basket competition. Are you? Okay. Yeah, very excited about that. I don't know why. (laughs) I've got no – what made you do that? I have no idea. Are, are you willing to share what you've planted in oh, your hanging baskets? Well, I've gone for natives, of mm-hmm. course, and so my first basket is called Cover Me in Sunshine and mm. it's a range of yellows, yellow flowering plants, and my other one is called Cool Customers and it's all about plants that thrive in the shade. Okay. Um, yeah, I just thought it was great and, and you um, apply online and then go to any one of the, I don't know how to pronounce it, Diaco's, Diaco, Diaco's yeah. Nurseries. And uh, I went to the Diaco's in, where did I go? Heatherton. 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 And, oh, my goodness, I've never <coughs> been there before. And it's so organised and tidy and such a huge range. And, uh, yeah, so they give you a hanging basket. So everyone has got the same, same thing, thing. And, and the potting mix. And oh, then you get um, a discount off the plants. Uh, so, yeah. Is there a fee, fee to enter? It's $50 to enter. Mm-hmm. Yes. And okay. it's run ten, by. Ten, ten places? Ten places. Ten places what? Win. Oh, yes, yes. Well, ten, ten I'll, I'll be hmm. winning, so anyone else can get, you know, second. <laughs> what about you, Loretta? What is what's your basket? Um, I'm still working on it because, you know, I was caught off guard, so I've got a few ideas, but, you know, I've never had many ideas, have I? No, really? no. Not, not at all, no. no. Creative, <laughs> creativity is not your thing. And, no. and you're good friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're enemies now. All right, what, let's talk about... A, Can I just... Oh, I really want to... Loretta's pointing at one of Ben's plants and she's desperate to know about it and, and so am I. Let's talk about yeah. it. The Sangasorbia. Whatever it is. Yeah, that's actually... <laughs> yes, called Sangasorbia um, officinalis or was it the other common name? It was, it was great. Um, Burnett was the, the common name on it. Um, it, Did you say great Burnett? Burnett, yeah. Okay, yep. But it's uh, the, the leaf, it, I, lo- I love growing it just for the foliage. It's a very soft sort of type of foliage. Um, a little bit ferny foliage. Yeah, it's got a ferny sort of look about it uh, and um, a nice sort of serrated a sort of, of margin. T- a tough ferny look though. It's yeah, it's it got is, a, yes. a, yeah. a strong leaf. It, it is a strong leaf, yeah, yeah. yeah. But when it, in on mass, it, it's sort of in the garden when you've got other plants around it. It, it does soften a, an area. So we've got that one planted around our echinops. Uh, so echinops is really sort of quite sort of a broad leaf, uh, real thistle sort of type of leaf, um, and then with a vibrant blue flower. Yeah, and, mm. the, and, and it's surprising that they actually they flower at the same time, and, and they're mm. a good accent to each other as well. And the sanguisorbia has this lovely little red elongated tuft at the end of each of the. Um, flowering stem, so it's sort of rather rather delicate in a way, isn't yes, it? Yeah, 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 and it comes in other colours. I mean, we've also got a pink one, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually a variety called Usengosorbia uh, um, uh, obtusa. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot smaller growing. Mm-hmm. So I think the common one they call them is pussy tails on that one. Okay, so yeah. what what sort of plant is it? So we're talking shrub perennial. It's a perennial, so yeah. it's one. It's a it's a herbaceous plant. So yeah. it actually, uh, in winter, it goes back into the ground. Yeah, yeah. So mm. it doesn't produce that so second what, what sort of, tissue. What position are you thinking? <coughs> full sun. Full sun. Yeah, mm-hmm. but also it'll grow in part shade as well. So okay. it's quite versatile. Uh, in a plant. pot. Uh, yeah, but in the growing season, it needs a bit of moisture. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd probably recommend put it put it in the ground. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it does okay. a lot better. I, I think mean, this might be coming home with me. That is stunning. <laughs> we have around about, I think, about nine or ten varieties. So we've got mm-hmm. nice variegated varieties. We've got some really tall ones, which will get up around about two metres in height. Um, and the, the flower spike as well can be much like nearly four or five times the, as this variety I've got here I've brought in. Mm-hmm. Brought in. Wow. Imagine so. that with um, belly buttons, with Pycnosaurus Globosus, mm. just because they've sort of both got those very structural flower heads. Of course, the Pycnosaurus being yellow and this one being um, probably bur- yeah, deep burgundy. red burgundy almost. Yeah. Yeah. They, they Would, wouldn't flower at the same time though, would they? Yeah, well, Pycnosaurus is yeah, flowering, flowering now. Yeah, mm. yeah. But um, th- that is absolutely <clears throat> stunning. Can you spell the genus? Uh, yeah. Can you spell the genus? Yeah, yeah. So that's S A N G U I S O C H A. Okay, Sorbia. Yeah. S O R B I. Yeah, Spell it again. Spell it again. S A N G. Yeah, so S A N G U I S O C H A. Okay. I think it is, yeah. Very nice. And where's it from? It's actually from North America. Yeah. So almost like a prairie type plant. I could see that with grasses around it. Yeah, it's adorable. Very good. All right, Loretta, you're up. I look. <laughs> what, have you, what have you got from Mum's She's garden? She's pruned. Mum's boring. garden. Just boring. <clears throat> a discussion that we had yesterday, um, AB and myself at um, Cranbourne, was about uh, hedging sort of plants. Let's say. Um, I mean, you know, you Tuscan blue, which is rosemary, and uh, there are just so many um, natives that can mimic exotics mm-hmm. and yeah. so I, I sort of always go back to the old faithful the Corriers, the Westringias and things which you know have become that well they sort of call the Westringia the native rosemary don't they really mm-hmm. um, so look that's all I'm really talking about is just a couple of good old uh, alternatives alternatives yeah. and, and it's lovely because you a lot of these alternatives do look quite exotic. So the Belenii, the Coria Belenii, is a great exotic, I mean, a native that mimics an exotic when you've got a little bit of a red stem. You've got, the, it's called the chef's cap. So you've got that fabulous flowering for a lot of the year, really. Really p- pretty little flower, isn't it? it With is a, so a long greenish um, corolla and then yeah. the little hat on yeah, the top. That it's really nice. Little hat, the chef's cap. Mm. So and glossy green glossy leaves. Glossy green leaves with those red stems. And I have done probably 20, 30 metre long hedges in it. And mm. it is just absolutely stunning. And all year round, solid plant, which you know, is is a gem. And they're really quite self-shaping, aren't they? They just form a beautiful mound, maybe, uh, would you say, about 1.8 to 2? Oh, oh the Belenia, I know, you'd keep it sort of down around 1.2. 1. 1.2, 1. yeah. okay. Yeah. And um, look, what they will do, though, particularly, oh, look, if, if they're reaching for light, anything's going to get leggy, but um, you do really have to keep on top of them. And I, I got this from Mum's this morning and I... I had trouble getting it because I had recently pruned it. So, I mean, it is a regular pruner, I must say. Oh, I just, I mean, I pretty much leave everything in my garden. Mine's just formed this lovely mound. It has. Mound yours and, has. It's yeah. fantastic. But I, yours is in a really good sunny position. Yeah. So it, it's more even. In actual fact, this one of my mother's is a little bit sh- 
half shade of your yeah. day. So it tolerates the semi-shade. It yeah, tolerates it filtered light quite yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. lovely. So it used to be one of the teaching plants at, at Burnley in oh, our yeah. native garden there yeah. underneath the big river red gums. So a little bit of filtered light and it did brilliantly. Yeah. Yeah, and no, dryish, dryish soil too. Yes, that's absolutely. the other thing. So the others are, I mean, the Wastrinia, as I said, which is has got that beautiful little flower, which you'll get in your mauves and your whites and mm. whatnot, and mm. um, and looking very much like rosemary, which very is much like rosemary, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so prune it good too. Again, trims up well, mm. and a fabulous species is grey box. So it's an odds breed, um, and grey box is very. If you're talking AB about that self shaping, it stay, stays quite stout. And uh, I have quite a display um, at Christmas Hills, and it's been brilliant. Mm. I, I think I actually could have given a little bit of a prune. Uh, it's maybe got a little bit big, but it is. It I've created a maybe 15 meter wave. Mm. Um, it's stunning. A little bit of. Uh, his hedges don't always have to be, you know, clipped straight no. and clipped horizontal, yes. do they? Yeah. You can do some lovely cloud flowing. Mm. Yeah, things. and I, it's I a bit love more that. forgiving, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. You made it straight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was meant to be like that. Yes. It's meant mm. to be a cloud. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So look, it's just more corias. Um, so what else? Coria like? alba. We've got do you the have alba. Yeah, we've got the coria alba, which is. Uh, comes in a prostrate form, which is terrific for banks and rockeries and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, once a little oh, a bit creamy, creamy yes. flower, star-like flower. And um, there's a pink form as well mm, with a little yes. pink flower. Yes. So that's quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. So yeah. once again, you can just keep it very lightly pruned, but fairly self. Uh, you know, the the shrub is uh, reasonably self-shaping. So. And really? fairly dense as far as the foliage is concerned. Mm. So when you've got those short internodes between on the stems there, that indicates to you that it's going to trim quite well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Think think of yourself as a little wallaby coming along and having a nibble <laughs> from right. time to time. And they're great. I mean, coastal Coria, so mm. of course mm. they're great. Even yeah. frontline coastal, they're super tough plants. Yes. And and with the prostrate form, I mean. Fantastic to build your levels in your bed, mm. you know, of plants is to get down in that really harsh area, which is, is at the front of the bed. So, mm. yeah, like the, that's about it, AB. Eh, yeah, well, that's, that's good. Well, I've got yeah. a question which um, you oh. will probably chuckle at, Loretta. Oh. Um, so Josephine has texted in saying, Good morning. Can you help me, please? I have a lily-pilly hedge that is getting badly chewed. What oh, can I yes. do to stop this? Wow. She must be hungry. Yes. <laughs> has she fertilised it? Has, she, has, has it been fertilised just recently or has she, she been using fertilisers on it? Or? She doesn't say. Yep. So, and chewed by what? Oh, oh, we know what it's chewed by. Mm-hmm. It's chewed by the, um, what is it called, emerald green beetle. Beetle. Yeah. It is vivid, vivid, limey mm. green, I suppose. Um, and my sister, I purchased about a dozen of the lily pillies and the interesting thing is I got it's the resist it says resistance that's what it's called and um, resistant to psyllids I think yes Yes, not to beetles unfortunately you know it's it's um and my son also has has the lily pilly that also so she ended up trying a few different things Mm -hmm. they didn't work natural things Mm. I'd probably look at um pretty pretty determined to go natural but she didn't in the end yeah so uh, you probably find so the bricks levels in the plant could be a bit lower too so mm. the what level often, Brent? Uh, your bricks 
So BRICS is actually like your sugars okay, in, in the yep, plant. Yep. Mm-hmm. I remember um, we so, talked about this last time. And yeah. it's so if you're a wine grower, you know about yeah. BRICS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, well, look, if, if you could balance your fertilisers out, so that, that, that will boost your, your BRICS levels up in a plant. So you find when, when, when a plant has a low BRICS level, so usually you find that the, it has a very high nitrate uh, um, or nitrogen in, in the actual plant itself. So your bricks levels just drop. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can balance a lot of all your other minerals out, um, you'll find that that'll build your bricks levels back up. How do you know what your bricks levels are? Look, you 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 have to rush out and go and buy a refractometer and then yeah, sort of do like a a, a sap test on the actual plant. Um, Look, I don't think it's really necessary for you to do that. I think it's just a matter of working out if you have fertilised it, whatever you fertilised it with, mm-hmm. um, you know, have a look at your pH of your soil uh, and then and, and sort of determine on what you can do from there. So if you find if you've been using lots of fertilisers on it, you probably find some elements could be antagonistic to the actual plant mm-hmm. um, and it's changing the pH, the actual, the, the, the sap pH in the actual plant. So you're finding certain uh, well, certain elements in the actual sap itself in the plant is is changing the pH in the sap mm-hmm. in the plant. So, so Ben, do you are you saying because I'm, I'm interested in this? Are you saying that if you've got a high sugar content mm-hmm. in your plant, that the insects will be more attracted to chewing it? No, because of the sugar. No, no, no. Okay. no. So the higher the bricks, which is the higher the sugar content mm. in the actual plant. Uh, so it's really good for caterpillars as well. So you find that the when they start eating it, it ferments in their in their stomach, so it kills them. Okay. So it, it actually turns to alcohol straight away. Okay. So bringing so, up that sugar level mm. is by it's balancing balancing the bal- yeah, balance, balancing yeah your minerals. So you find. Uh, Especially like your mine elements as well. Mm. So instead of then backing off on a lot of your bulk elements because some of your bulk elements become antagonistic to a lot of the other elements. Mm. So for instance, say to, if you've got a very high nitrate or nitrogen in, in the actual plant, that can shut down potassium and also it'll shut down calcium in the actual plant. Mm. Um, so when you do when that happens, then you'll find that the, the plant starts to be deficient. Uh, the, the sugars start to... Uh, not flow throughout the plant as well. Mm. Um, so by balancing all those those minerals out, especially your minor minor min- minerals, um, it, it sort of allows everything to mm. sort of flow and sort of function, yep. sort of really well. Well, I'd have to say, um, my sister ended up going for something nasty. Mm. She was really distressed because, of course, she's talking about all the other critters that she's going to affect. Um, it worked like a dream. Mm. Uh, she had to mask up and mm. be. Uh, yeah, careful really careful um she did it and they and she went through afterwards after spraying i will get back to, i'll put up what she used yeah um it was quite expensive i think around 60 dollars um she then went through and she's been lifting all the beetles and getting everything away and she's watching it really closely but it's looking it took about two weeks to really and she's cleaning up as she's going and mm-hmm. so it was something yeah. systemic yes yeah yeah mm. Mm-hmm. I think that's a problem. I think we need to stop using mm. fungicides, insecticides, because it's not the root cause. You need to go back and have a look at what the root cause is mm. instead of actually see it's a quick fix. So to to use like yep. chemicals, yep. Um, but it's not resolving the issue. So if no. we go back and look at what's what's why is these plants sort of getting 
infestation mm. by mm. insects or why is there fungal yes. problems happening? Yeah. Um, and then sort of trying to work out from there how do yes. I rectify that because that's actually going to solve all your problems, yes. mm. even yeah. down the track. Yeah, and so, this time of year, it, so, I mean, she's quite dedicated to, yes, look, she's, She's done this, mm. but um, she's a brilliant that gardener. That was the last resort, it was wasn't it? was the last it? resort, and Absolutely. I know now she's she's on top of it next year, knowing it's going to come, mm. and she's going to really... So it's really great advice, Ben. I mm. really but usually a good on. one is sort of back off on a lot of those NPKs. Mm. Um, I mean, you still need them in, mm. like, in around the plant. Um, probably more use stuff like boron and, and mm. calcium. Mm. Um, I mean, they're all synergists. So, mm. like boron um, is a, a, a mineral that that can open up like a certain flap in the actual vascular system. So the sugars will go down overnight and then come back up during the day. Um, and then calcium um, is a, another cell strengthening uh, mineral that that builds cell strength. Mm. Um, and then also yep. boron is a synergist to all that as well. Yeah. So. Ben, I think you need to write a very simple user's guide about all of this stuff because there's nothing really out there without getting a tomb and having to sort of weave your way through it. So I really feel like um, there would definitely be a market yeah. there. Yeah, but mm. I, I think because I, I use boron um, and the calcium three times a year, Mm. Um, so I apply it spring, summer, and autumn, mm-hmm. uh, and then foliage spray it. Yep. So and do it in the morning and, yep. and underneath the leaf because that's where a lot of the the the, um, uh, the, the pores are that yep. open up. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that that's really good advice. Hey guys, we have come to the end of the show once again. That went very quickly, annoyingly. It did. It did. So I would like to um, give a thank you to our producers, Bern Lamberg and Tom Manning. Thanks so much, guys, for keeping the show running smoothly. I'd like to thank Ben Brooker for your incredible knowledge and coming from far, far away. I would like to thank Loretta Childs, landscaper, for also coming from quite far away and, and sharing your knowledge. And your competitiveness. Hanging and baskets. Michelle Adler, thank you so much for coming a million miles to share your lovely knowledge <laughs> and personality. It's been wonderful. Um, so please remember it's our subscriber drive for this week. So if you can, subscribe to the show. Um, otherwise, we will be back again next week. So thank you very much. <laughs>